Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Herbal Hour. This week, we have an episode on the symbolism and metaphor in the Christian stories found in the Bible. We have with us longtime student of the Christian way, Jacob Schmidt. He's also a naturopathic medical student, one of my good colleague friends, and a student of global health. We're delving into some key biblical stories, such as Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and trying to understand them in a deeper sense, in a metaphorical way, in a psychological way, and finding what lessons they have to teach us in our daily life. We're also delving into how a religious path can be a way to healing, and how religion is actually a key part of the healing process for many people. So just to start out, how did you get interested in studying Christianity? Um, so that's a long story, mm-hmm. but uh, the short version would be I was raised Christian. Um, had two parents that weren't always Christian, but became so, and then they raised me in that kind of mindset. I was went to church and all those things, Sunday schools and all that stuff. It was around 10 years old that I had my first like, okay, either these stories are a bunch of bull crap or mm-hmm. there's like something to this. And so that's when I first like decided to, for myself, follow. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I, I think I want to buy into this. I think mm-hmm. I like this. Um, and that was kind of funny because I asked, I asked to be saved like for the next four nights, like mm-hmm. you do when you first. You're like, it, did that work? Is that mm-hmm. it? Which is a misunderstanding of what it actually is. But it wasn't until I was 16. So, really, really long story short, I had a lot of like self hatred. Mm. Um, I had a lot. I almost committed suicide a few times. Wow, I didn't. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, kind of crazy. You're like one of the most like cheerful people I know, I know at this point. <laughs> not at all. That's kind of very unexpected. Yeah, I really hit a lot of my like self-hatred. And I think that's still like a core uh, false belief that I fall into, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So you kind of got, uh, you went past your dark night of the soul, as they yes. call it in the uh, yeah. religious text. Well, yeah. And I was like 16 mm-hmm. years old when I really felt like I, I actually, for the first time, like met Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like physically, like a vision or... But I realized, because the whole, and we'll get into it, but the whole Christian Bible is about a relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's about like this God actually wants a relationship with you. And so when I was 16, that's when I first experienced it. That 10 years old was like, I think I want to buy into this as, as something that's real and not something that's just bull crap. Mm-hmm. And then the 16 years old was like, oh my gosh, I can actually like have a relationship with God. And so that's when I actually... That's when I like, I don't know, I guess you could say like caught fire Mm -hmm. for the spirit. And that's where things just turned and my self-hatred was just like melted. And I felt a lot of love from the God, the Father and Jesus. And I like experienced what that was. And that became like a passion. So it wasn't really this like study of religion. Mm -hmm. And even as like some people, I don't even tell them I'm a Christian just because although I call myself a Christian to some people, Christian might mean Donald Trump and to others it means Mother Teresa and to others it means crusade, you know, it just means, it means so many different things. Mm-hmm. So although I identify as that, it's, it's, it, I don't know what that means when I say that to somebody. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I more accurately say I follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I say a Christian, but like it just, again, I don't know what that means to people. So mm-hmm. like, but I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. Mm-hmm. I believe in his teachings and mm-hmm. I follow after him. Yeah, we were talking uh, before about all of these biblical stories. Like we got in pretty in-depth and I'd like to talk about a lot of these different ones. But I think this is a great place to talk about uh, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how it applies to our lives, how it applies to healing. Because this is, as I was telling you, the time of the year where um, astrologically the the sun kind of stays in the same spot across the sky. It mm-hmm. goes to its lowest point for three days from December 22nd to December 25th, and then it rises up. So obviously uh, early biblical writers, they were well-versed in astrology and understood the relation of the stars and the divine. So there's many myths and many traditions that hold this time to be particularly uh, you know, meaningful for human mm-hmm. life. We're going into the darkest time of the year, the coldest time, the most desolate time, the time when depression is at its peak, you know, seasonal affective disorder in (laughs) Portland. I mean, we have that like all winter, but especially the, you know, I actually started uh, not to get too off rail, but I started taking (laughs) vitamin D and I noticed it helped like so much. It's one of the first times I took like a supplement where I was like, this is life changing. But anyway, back to, back to it. 
tell us about the story of, uh, of Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another big question, mm-hmm. um, which any story we get into will be a good, big, uh, big, big question. And specifically I'll, I'll try to focus in and you can help hone me in because mm-hmm. I can, you and I can both rabbit trail. We're kind of like the dog and up well, squirrel, we're both like Sagittarius. <laughs> so yeah, both a philosopher. Always going. So I'll try to tie it into like how it relates to health and, um, and healing. And I, th- I really think that this is like at the center of everything because it heals this. Mm. You know, I get I get my identity from God because um, he created me and he knows it. And so it's not like he withholds it from me, but he's the only one who can truly tell me. I can like kind of explore and find out this relates. Like, you know, you tune in and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. that's like me. And like, I tried this, but it's not really, you know, you can tune into those things, but God like knows it intimately and can be like, this is true about you. And mm. this is true about you. And as humans, we definitely tend to be like, oh, I'm man, I'm bad at this. I'm not good at that. I'm like terrible at this. Um, and it's really interesting. I'm already derailing, but I, I'm going to tie it back. I'm going to tie it back. Um, it's really interesting when you first introduce people to uh, listen to the voice of God, because I really believe all of us can hear the voice of God, mm. um, not necessarily audibly but there's like almost like the internal voice and different from like conscience and different from like i don't know evil thoughts or different from other things i think we all have that like tune in ability and when you first get people to like listen to god and you ask them you like lead them to listen to god and be like Mm -hmm. what does god say about you Mm -hmm. it's so interesting how so many people you'll get you'll get a somewhat response like they'll like they'll be if their eyes are closed or something they'll be just like shaking their head or something like they don't believe the goodness that God is speaking over him because God is constantly, you know, I, I mentioned this to you earlier. It's the three questions of what do you think of yourself? Mm-hmm. What do you think of God? And most importantly, what do you think God thinks of you? And mm-hmm. a lot of religion is like, we need to appease God and make him happy or we need to do something right. And then we'll be good. And that's what the law was. But Jesus comes and he does the opposite. Jesus is like, I've created you. I've made you in my image. I've made you good. And let me tell you about who you really are. Mm. And so when you hear that, let's like, even I was on the mental health shift with um, um, one of the doctors at our school. And a lot of these people, you know, we see, we see crazy things. We see depression. We see a lot of stuff. And I think that all those are important to address, whether it's with drugs or supplements or diet or whatever it is. Um, but a lot of people like I'm noticing and it's different as a secondary because you're not in the main role but a lot of people you're like you just you just hate yourself Mm. like I'm just seeing that I'm like you just like you just honestly aren't you know you have internal conflict and so the type of healing that I think comes from Jesus is that it's that deeper like and it's not just loving yourself because I think that's like strong but when God loves you and when you see that and not this blanket statement God loves everybody which is which is true, but when you realize that God doesn't just love everybody, God loves you. Mm-hmm. He knows you. Mm-hmm. He knows the hairs on your heads. He knows the thoughts that you think. Mm-hmm. He knows you intimately. He knows your emotions. He, know, he knows that and he loves you. And mm-hmm. when you feel loved in that sense, you know, it's the difference between somebody got you a gift that was beautiful and well thought of and somebody getting a gift that was specifically like, I've watched you and I've seen you and I know that you like this kind of thing and I got it for you. And, mm-hmm. that, and that speaks more of like, oh, you like know me. Mm. and you love me and that's Mm. different so all of that that's like Mm. what jesus gets to and what jesus um the death and resurrection the best part of that is the my favorite part is the resurrection because the death is like the end of the law it's the end of us trying to fix ourselves Mm. that's the key thing like it's it's the end of Adam and Eve in the garden is what God created. That gets messed up. God like creates this whole system to like try to allow man to fix themselves. They can't and he knows they can't. So he's like letting them have their try, letting them have their try. And then uh, they keep doing that and you just see that through the whole Bible. I think the Bible tells one story. And then it gets to Jesus and God's like, I'm going to do it for you. I'm mm. going to fix it. I'm going to like, I'm going to free you from the things you really truly want freedom mm-hmm. from. Um, and I'm going to continue to give that mm. to you unconditionally. So that's what Jesus does. And the death is putting all that in the ground. It's taking all of our sins, all of our struggles and giving this freedom. It's not about Christianity has made it about getting into heaven when you die, but it's actually getting into heaven now. Mm. Like heaven's here. And Jesus talks about that. He's not, he's not like, wait till you die. It's all about mm. then, which a lot of uh, religious people think it's all about the death, but it's not like Jesus is like, it's about today. Like mm-hmm. he's like, the kingdom of heaven is here. He says that like all the time. He's like, it's coming now. Mm. Um, and so it's about like entering into his kingdom mm. now where there's freedom and he reigns mm. and it's, and it's mm. a life to Jesus is a complete mm. utter surrender to God and it's trusting him, which is hard. 
which is really, which is the hardest part. You're like, I don't want to, that's Adam and Eve. They chose, mm. they chose to the, the tree of the knowledge. It's interesting. The tree isn't just like an apple or fruit, or whatever it was. It was the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. And so Adam and Eve, and that's the one thing God's like, you can have this whole garden. It's all yours. Don't eat that tree. And he, and Adam and Eve go with the serpent. There's a whole story there. Blah, that's a long thing. But Adam and Eve go, we want to decide what's mm. right and wrong. Mm. And so back to today, that's the same thing. Jesus is like, let me be the one to decide right and wrong. And I will let you flourish. I will like give. I just want to give to you. I just want to give. I want to give. And Adam and Eve are like, well, we want to do that ourselves. So that's the same human condition. Like we want to decide. And so there's this fear. Like, I don't want to give over to Jesus. I'm afraid to give him mm. my life choice my life choices, my decision makings, my like, I want to control that, right? But what Jesus does in his death and resurrection is he like redeems it all. And he's like, if you trust mm. me, like I'll, I'll give you like everything. Mm. Like by following Jesus, you give up, you give up everything. Mm. But in return, you get truly, you truly get mm. everything. How does following in religious teachings help you in the healing journey? Wow, that's a big question too. Um, How do you apply your views of um, Christianity, uh, the biblical stories, yeah. and actually bring that into yeah. people's lives through you know natural yeah. medicine? Yeah. Um, so I think getting back to that, like kind of what I mentioned with uh, being on the mental health shift mm -hmm. and noticing some people just like don't like themselves or mm -hmm. they doubt things about themselves. I think one thing that you know, I think each of us are like individual and unique. And I think one thing that um, God, I think one of the things that God has put inside me is to see the like good in people. Mm. I really see, like when I look at people, I really see like the beauty mm. that's in them and like the uniqueness. And the, and I think God's just made me like an encourager. Mm. So taking both those like, what do I know about Jesus? And, and in hand in hand with like, who has he created me to be? Mm. Like I can only operate out of like my identity. Like we talked about Jonah mm. earlier and doing what you're supposed to, like mm. doing what you were made to rather than what you weren't. Mm. Um, is like, if I can tune into those things and get to the real issue and be like, you know, like I could give you this medication for your depression and stuff. And maybe we start with that. Maybe we start with fish oils or whatever, you know, whatever it is we go for, um, or homeopathy or whatever. Um, is I can also tune into that like space and mm. like encourage people and challenge them in a way that's like, why do you think these things about yourself or, or like, or maybe not even assume that they do, but like be poking at that and being like, how do you like, like what's your, or one thing is like asking about the religion. Do they have one? Do they have community? Do they have aspects of their life where they're like surrounded by people? And then what is that like? Is it like, is it oppressive? Is it very like rigorous and, um, not helpful for them. Some people like the rigor. They like the structure. They like the like, this is when I get up. This is when I do this. This is when I pray. And some people that like bring some life. So tuning into that, like, is this bringing you life? What, despite what the religion is, um, or is it like causing detriment for your soul? But mm -hmm. specifically applying Jesus to people is that same freedom that Jesus has given me. Mm. And that same like thing that I mentioned earlier that I think God can speak to all people is mm -hmm. tuning into that. Mm -hmm. Is like getting in and being like, dude, you don't even realize how incredible you are. Mm -hmm. Like you don't like you are like a mm -hmm. very unique in, intentionally made person that is special. Like those kind of aspects that you get. <laughs> My phone's <laughs> just making all it. sorts of noises. Chirps. Listening, <laughs> Chirps. listening to us. It's like, yeah. So we were talking before about um, the healing at Bethesda, I believe it's called, and oh. how um, how Jesus found like a crippled man and there was these healing waters that you can bring someone into and God would, you know, bring healing, bring you back to life. But this crippled man could not actually get to the waters and he, um, he kind of helped him over into those healing waters to heal him, but he did it on the Sabbath, which was, uh, kind of breaking a religious tradition, a kind of, yeah. you know, human law of, you know, you're not supposed to work on this day. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking before about how that's symbolic of, doing what is right, doing what is, you know, the path of the, of the spirit in spite of what may be the customs or the laws of the time. Um, what do you think about that as far as his, his message of, you know, yeah. doing the right thing? Yeah. Um, well, I think what it really is, is like, cause Jesus also encompasses 
is, is God in the flesh. And Jesus has this relationship with God, and he is God. So it's a, that's a whole, it's a whole other topic. But mm-hmm. he's constantly showing people who God really is. Is. Mm. And I think that's the key part because, and he doesn't necessarily pick up, the, he doesn't actually pick up the man and put him in the water. What he does is uh, he, he just heals him on the spot. Mm. He's like, get up and walk. The guy mm. can't walk. And he's like, okay, if you can't walk, just stand up and walk. We don't need the waters. We don't need this. Um, and then he gets up and he's like, take your mat and go home. And that was breaking the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. He's like walking. I think the Sabbath, like they added laws to it. So God said, don't do any work on the Sabbath. And then um, the law, a lot of like Jewish religious uh, leaders at the time just added a bunch to the law. And so they made things like you can only take so many steps. You can only do so many of this and so many of that. And you have to do. So there's like actual like particular laws, which wasn't what God put in. So what Jesus is doing, again, back to like Jesus is reflecting the heart and the character of God. And a lot of it's interesting. A lot of Jesus's miracles he does specifically on the Sabbath which mm-hmm. is really interesting. And I think he does that intentionally. Um, but that's mainly the ones that are recorded that we know about. Um, is then the religious leaders see the man walking. They're like, what the heck are you doing? The, this is the Sabbath. You can't do that. And the guy's like, well, he healed me and he told me to. And they get mad and like, who is this person? Like mm-hmm. we need to go find him and like shame him or whatever it is, you know? And then that's where uh, Jesus has that like line. And I don't know if it's specifically Bethesda, but on one of those Sabbath healings that he does, he has the line that's like, man was wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Mm -hmm. And that's showing that what Jesus is doing is showing the intent of God, that God's not about this, like you need to follow the Sabbath because it's the good thing. But he's actually like, you're like my interest and I've created the Sabbath because I know in your Mm -hmm. life, you're going to have, I mean, just think about today. It's too easy to like always be answering an email or always be on call or always be doing something, always like work, work, work. And we glorify that. You know, we really glorify mm. this fast-paced system and everybody's like, we need to rest, but nobody yeah. does. It, it brings up an interesting uh, point that there's essentially two kinds of laws. There's divine law, or you can call it natural law. And then there's like the law that man created to kind of approximate that law, right? So when he says the law is made for man, not man for the law, yeah, it's kind of like, revolutionizing that idea of if a custom does not actually help people, you know, heal or make them closer with spirit, then it's actually should be uh, disobeyed. So it's interesting that the early naturopaths, if you read any of their works, they're very keen on talking about natural laws and getting back to nature and how there's, you know, unseen ways of living, like having fresh water having sunlight, living in the open, wearing light clothing, all these more eating like foods from their state of nature. Uh, They talk very much about how if you follow the natural laws, the ones that man didn't actually make as laws, that's the path to healing. And much of naturopathy is that, is this idea that there's a natural way of living and it's something that we discover. And it's something that our laws, customs, um, and culture don't necessarily portray, hence why we have, you know, so many issues with people not having meaning in their lives, not having fulfillment, yeah. not being healthy, chronically yeah. ill, depression, yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Um, if you go into the forest for like a day, all that goes away, right? So it's like this idea that there's like a fundamental way of living yeah. that is, uh, is deeper. You were speaking previously about how the story of Adam and Eve is crucial to an understanding of Christianity. So how does that story go? Yeah. Lay it down for Um, us. Adam and Eve is one of my favorites, other than the stories of Jesus, uh, because Jesus is just full of life and love and beauty. Um, Adam and Eve is interesting just because so much is in it. There's, There's God's intent in it. There's the separation of man from animals. There's God sharing power with man. Um, which is different than a lot of stories. There's uh, the origin of sin, or like really, which sin is like a, a religious term, but it really just means origin of wrongdoings, I guess. There's actually three different types of, there's transgressions, there's sin, and then there's, I forget the last one. Anyways, that's off topic. There's origin of that, there's the origin of like, there's like the, um, what do you call it? The human condition in it. There's there's uh, pain and death. There's beauty. There's paradises. There's so much. So what like the basic 
Again, I can go, you can have a whole podcast on just each individual of those. And every time I read this story, I learn another thing. Mm-hmm. You also mm-hmm. hear God, you also hear man get a false identity. Mm-hmm. You hear man get an identity from something else. And there's this line, I think it's in Genesis 3, 3 something. This is after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit. Um, and God, well, actually, let me back up because I don't want to skip to that yet. So basically God creates Adam and Eve. He, well, he creates the world and he's like, something's missing. I need relationship. I was made like, I'm, I'm a being of relationship. And so he created man. And then it's cool because he, he creates uh, Adam, which whether that's literal or not, but he creates a uh, man. And then he uh, lets man, he's like, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he's like, I'm going to make him a helper. But first, before he makes him a helper, he brings all these animals to him first so that the man can really learn. He like tests out all the things and really learn, no, I really actually need somebody of my own flesh and blood. I don't need, and it's kind of funny how, see, there's another story. I've, I've, I've uh, officiated a wedding and I've talked about how that story relates to a man um, and a woman. Um, so there's that in there, but so God creates this relationship. He's like, I was, I'm, I want this relationship. And I think that really reflects a lot of us. We were created for relationship Mm. with God and with each other. I think community is like, I think it's something that we don't ask enough about, especially in natural medicine. We should be asking a ton about where's your community, who you, because we live in an age of social media. I'm off topic now, but like. We just live in an age that's so we're incredibly lonely and we're connected to everybody, but not at all. Not in a connected. deep sense. So no. the basic um, the basic story is man lives in some kind of paradise. There's no idea of good and evil. There's just no, there's life, evidence. natural living. Yep. Um, there's and this relationship, relationship and with God and the animals. And he's like, rule. He, I love, there's this line in there. He says, you can eat anything, anything green, you can eat it. And I just imagine like just walking up and picking even a poisonous plant and you could eat it at that time. I don't know if the, you know, maybe the plants have changed and, mm-hmm. you know, it could be, it might just all just be literature anyway. But I just love that idea of just like, just like be like, be full and be free. Mm. And it's so natural medicine. Be mm. outside, put your fingers in the ground, get dirt, come be with me in the evening. He would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden every evening. And that was like the cool of the day, which is like the best part of the day, which is like that, like it's still nice and light out, but it's not burning hot. And it's it's like, interesting in that story. Um, the command is you can eat from the tree of life, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I think there's like a very deep, um, metaphor in that I think about that story very often um and I've studied a little bit of Buddhism so it kind of like ties in there so the idea is that when man eats of the tree of knowledge of good and evil the world gets split into opposites this is the beginning of duality yeah um right after that eating the way you know God finds out that man has transgressed is that they were naked and ashamed they covered themselves so now mm-hmm. there's some kind of um inherent guilt about being who we are who we are as it's almost like our realization of we were first a kind of divine animals that were just flowing in life and living and then we kind of turn inwards and said oh wait this is wrong that's wrong um it's also interesting that the tree of life there's a passage in there i forget where it is it might be in genesis that uh the tree of life the all the leaves and um, they were made for the healing of the people. Like there's this oh, tree of life. You can eat of life. You can participate in life. Life is, you know, divine. Mm-hmm. But once you start thinking of everything in dualistic terms, in terms of good and evil, that's where all suffering comes from. But it almost it almost seems like you were saying it's the creation is kind of the whole story of the Bible in like a very short parable. It's like man had to learn about good and evil. It was like a net, almost like that step was a necessary thing that had Mm. to happen. Mm. Um, Even though it brought much suffering and destruction, Mm. it was necessary for humans to actually be moral. It was necessary for them to understand that there is good and evil. It's like out of the blissful ignorance. But the point I think is to get beyond that and to reconnect with the divine intentions, with the knowledge, with a more mature view of understanding yeah. that like, you're not like innocent anymore, but you still choose like the good, mm. even though like evil exists, you choose the good. And I think 
there's a key point to be made, and we can talk about the story Cain and Abel. It's like the original kind of like first evil. Right. Um, murder. Yeah. First murder. Exactly. Well, the story of Cain and Abel is particularly interesting because um, I know of it generally. Maybe you can talk in depth about the yeah. specifics of it. Um, but Abel was kind of the good good man, very, uh, very successful doing all the things that God wanted and, you know, reaping all the benefits. Everyone loved him. And, uh, Cain is like struggling to find his place in the world. Mm -hmm. And he feels that he's like personally, uh, hated on by God and not given the same attention. He's kind of like in a family where there's two brothers and one of the brothers gets all the attention, all the love. The other brother is always trying to catch up and always feeling like, you know, he's not being appreciated. So he actually turns eventually uh, and in spite, you know, commits the first like grave sin, which is murder and mm-hmm. splits off into this faction. But I think it, it talks about um, the foundation of evil, that much of evil actually one comes from disunity with spirit. So like not feeling that they're connected because they feel like, you know, somebody feels like everything they do, nothing works out. They never get the appreciation. They put in all the work, but nothing comes of it. Mm-hmm. Um and them feeling kind of vengeful for it, like spiting life. So my idea of what evil is essentially, evil is all that is against life. It's uh, destructive towards life. Mm-hmm. Good is everything that seeks to fulfill life and bring more life. Now, if someone becomes jaded by some terrible event, there's like essentially two paths I think you can take. One is like you learn some kind of lesson from it and it makes you actually want to do good. The other is you become jaded and you think nothing's worth anything. It's like nihilistic. There's mm-hmm. no meaning. There's no God. There's no uh, reason to do good. So I might as well just destroy everything. And I might yeah. as well, you know, yeah. I don't have to watch Man. for my brother. Like my yeah. brother doesn't watch for me. This very yeah. like very painful origin of uh, of evil. But yeah. What what details did I miss in the Cain and Abel story? Because I know there's plenty. Uh, no, that was that was pretty good. The, the Cain and Abel is actually really short when you mm. read the biblical story, and it's almost confusing. And I think the, the thing that a lot of people, include myself included, that I haven't fully landed on, um, which is a great reason to talk about it, um, is that there's what happens is there's Cain and Abel, and both bring a sack. So God still has the relationship with Adam and Eve. He's still like with them in in flesh, um, and God comes and Cain and Abel both bring their like portions to. They're kind of like in a sense they're tied. They're kind of like bringing their. Uh, Cain is a farmer, so he has like fruits and vegetables, and he brings those to the Lord, and he said, "Here's my fruits and vegetables." And Abel is a shepherd, um, or like uh, yeah, shepherd, and so he brings his like first you or something like that it was like a lamb or something like that and god basically says cain's uh sacrifice or gift was good and or sorry uh abel's sacrifice or offering was good cain's offering wasn't good it's basically what it says and you kind of get confused you're like that's why is why yeah, is this happening like, why? why is god choosing not, one over the other and i wouldn't other. say it's super clear to to the layman i would say um, when you know more of the background history and what's actually happening, what each represents, like there's a lot of Hebrew there and like what are the, culturally, what do those mean, those kind of things. Um, and I think as a lay person, the easiest thing to do is in Hebrews, which is a New Testament, um, the author of Hebrews refers back to it and says, by faith, Abel offered up a good sacrifice, whereas Cain didn't. Mm. And there's this fit, so there's this faith aspect. There's this heart aspect, and God's not interested necessarily in like the like oh the actual your, your fruit actually wasn't very much, and I like lamb more. It's not that. That's like, and that's what's troubling because when you first read it, you're like, why is God upset with Cain? He like is it kind of the these. intention? Is it kind of I believe so that uh, that Abel brought it forth like. I don't know, to glorify life out of a good intention, whereas maybe Cain came at it more from like, what do I get from it? Right. And that's why I have to he was do? so upset is because I didn't get anything from it. Right. But and that's I the lesson the right is thing, but I didn't, sometimes yeah. when you're trying to Dude, do good so to good. get uh, some gain, you actually commit evil and you suffer from it. Right. So if you, you know, do a good act just for a selfish reason, 
or for or for just to do the right thing. So again, this is like, and this is what this, this is how Adam and Eve connects to Jesus, because Jesus is all about faith, and He fulfills the law. Right now, before Jesus, like everything leading up to it, the law is the thing that governs you, and so it's all about doing right and wrong. So Cain's like, I did the right thing. I like brought my fruit. It was the I just did the the thing I was required to do. Whereas Abel was like, it's not about what I do. This is back to the Sabbath. Sabbath, like one was like, I didn't take as many steps as I was supposed to. I like, I obeyed the laws. And the other one is thinking, no, this is actually like benefits my relationship with God Mm. and my family and people. And those are two different. They're doing the same thing. They're both obeying the law. But one is like using the law to like support life. Mm -hmm. And the other one is using the law to, to like do what's right. And and that's what's beautiful is Jesus fulfills the law and is like, stop getting so focused on the law, focus on relationship with me and I will free you from the law because the law like, the law brings about the awareness of sin and I wouldn't have sinned had I not known about the law, but trying to fulfill the law, I can't, oh man, I'm, I'm kind of sounding all over the board right now, but it's, it's, it's so interesting how it's the same thing and that's They're what I love about it. They're both doing the right thing. But maybe one is doing it for the right reasons, for the re- and another for the deeper, deeper thing. And right. The other is, and then when they feel like they did all the right things, and still life punishes them, they feel like personally offended, and they feel like um, they don't learn a lesson from. Well, maybe like I went about it the wrong way. They think life is actually fundamentally unfair, yep. and God is unfair. Yeah. yeah. So s- screw this him. I'm going to do whatever I want, and I'm going to get yeah. what what is mine yep. through anything, through murder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, why do you think he, he goes, actually commits he the Abel murder? Is, well, because he's like, well, I did all the right things and I did it wrong. So F this and Abel got it. And I don't, I think it's a non, it's just like you said, instead of learning and being like, Abel, why don't you tell me why you did this? And Abel would be like, well, it's not about the actual sacrifice that you're giving to God. That's important, but that's not what it's about. It's about relationship. So he could have had this conversation, but instead Campbell or cable. Uh, <laughs> Cain chooses instead his own. He's like, I did what I did and it didn't work, so F the system. And Abel has his way of doing things, but but I don't want to learn Abel's way. I just want to like get rid of it. And so Abel's my so what Cain chooses mm-hmm. is enemy. Cain goes, Abel's my enemy. Abel did the Abel did the good thing or whatever. And God loves Abel. So now because God loves, again, what do you think of you? What do you think of God and what God thinks of you? God, Cain is believing God hates me, which isn't what God does. God does not hate Cain. And Cain is going, God loves Abel. I'm going to kill Abel. And there's like this. There's like, a key aspect there too. So Abel was kind of God's like favorite child. He um, kind of looked upon him and really loved him. So Cain, in a way, wanted to do the most spiteful thing directly against God. I'm going to kill your most prized possession, right. your most prized child because you didn't uh, yeah. view me. I just realized something kind of psychological about that story, uh, going deeper into it, is when you see – there's basically two uh, ways to view somebody who is very like successful and is doing things well and is well in the world. One is you become envious and you think like – you know, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Like, you know, screw them. Like, I'm going to spite them. I'm going to try to destroy them rather than how can I learn from them? How can I learn from them and be good like them? So mm-hmm. Cain had that choice. He saw his, you know, elevated brother who was doing all the things and was getting all the love of God. Instead of being like, what is he doing that I'm not doing? Can I be, can he be a good role model for me? He thinks like, no, like this is unfair he was kind of like envious of him. So he, yeah. he killed him. And it's kind of this idea of how, I mean, the term like hater is, is what that is. Right. Somebody who like looks right. upon somebody's uh, good place in life yeah. and, uh, and hates them, them for it yeah. instead of rejoicing and being like, how can I share in that? Yeah. And yeah. that's like a fundamental story. Yeah. And it kind of, it gives an explanation for the origin of murder too. Like what is like the fundamental reason that people right. kill each other. And that's what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus t- takes a lot of the laws and goes like, okay, it says you can't have adultery with any woman. Well, I'm telling you, if you look at a woman with adulterous eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus is like, it's about here. It's not about the law. It's about here. Mm. So same with murder. He's like, uh, it says in the law, don't murder. But I'm telling you, if you uh, have hatred towards your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. So he's like, 
he Jesus is trying to do this. So this is again, it's the same thing. Cain mm. Cain is about the law. What is the right thing? What is the wrong thing? Abel's not about the law. Jesus is not about the law. He fulfills the law. Fulfills He's the like, law, but I'm does not it. follow it. He his being well, he is like an expression it, of but it. But he yeah yeah yeah. His being the the law is like an outflow of him, not the other way around. Like we. I think a lot of religions, and which is why rightfully so, a lot of people get really upset with religions is because it's about the law. And God's not about the law. The law was like the substitute. The law was Adam and Eve chose to decide, we want to know what's right and wrong. We're going to make that decision, not God. We want to be the one. So let's eat this fruit. Because that's what the enemy comes and he's like, oh, if you eat this fruit, God said you'll die. But you won't really die. Like this is, God lied to you. And so the first thing the enemy does is like, oh, you're not like God. The, the first thing that the enemy does is he, he challenges their identity. He's like, God knows that when you eat this fruit, you're going to become like him. But newsflash, they were already made in the image of God. That was their identity. Their identity mm. was like God. And But what the enemy is selling to them is that you're not God. You're not like him. You're nowhere near him. And if you eat this fruit, then you'll become like him. Mm. So he's selling them a false identity. Even with them being naked, when God first comes back into the garden, after the, the first time they meet after the tree, uh, they hide themselves from God. And when God finally finds them, he's like, why were you hiding? And they, they say, because we were naked and we were ashamed. And so God realizes at that point, like you've eaten the fruit. But the first thing he says is he goes, who told you you were naked? Who told you who mm. you were? Who gave you this identity? Who told you you were this or that or that mm. thing? And God's like, I told you who you were. I'm the one who made you beautiful as you are. And now you're believing this other thing because you've chosen another identity. You've chosen mm. So that even tying this back into like the naturopathic thing and back to that like identity. And that's what I said at the beginning. Like I get my identity from God because when I find my identity in my successes, when I find it in my grades, when I find it in whatever it is outside of myself, what people think of me, the possessions I have, or successes. Those are the three most common things that people find identity in. Those things are all outside of me. Mm. And right? I think there's there's like a key lesson in that story too of uh, there's this ancient idea of hubris or like uh, in Greek myth and the Greek gods, which is committing a sin against the gods or God by thinking you're greater than them rather than you're like them. So there's kind of the the made in God's image, which is what we are. We're God-like versus thinking there is no God. I am the God. And having this kind of, that's like the foundation of megalomania, basically. Mm -hmm. That's like when that idea completely uh, takes possession of someone's minds and they make the law. They decide what good and evil is. They have the knowledge. They have the power. So now there's no one ruling over them or telling them what's right and wrong. They're completely disconnected. They're the lawgiver. Yeah. And then that's that's like a path to a lot of evil. Yeah. I mean, if you look at yeah. you know Nazi Germany, yeah. that's kind of what that is. Yeah. Uh, Nazism was like fundamentally had religious overtones, a lot of them. Yeah. And it was about like, we're the right ones. We make the rules and everyone has to submit to them or else like right. you're out. right. This is like our, you know, world. Yeah, and that's the Adam and Eve, that, and that's the human condition part is like we want to decide what's right and wrong. That's like the human condition, and we're not very good at it. <laughs> we're pretty like bad at it. Um, and that's the point, and that's the garden was like God saying, let me do that. Let me do that work. I'm good at that work, and I'll just, I'll like pour out on you ignorance and mm. bliss, and you'll you'll live in this paradise with me in community. Like trust in spirit, trust in divine, trust and live life, trust. and don't. Try to, you know, make it your way. Yep. There's a, and that's back mm-hmm. to the law again. And Jesus going back is like, I'm fulfilling mm-hmm. the law. And it's all about, the New Testament is all about how the law is fulfilled by Jesus. And we are now in a new place where Jesus, where all of our righteousness and everything comes from just, just faith. It doesn't come from me like tithing or not doing this sin or not doing that thing or not. It's not that those, it's not that sin or or murder doesn't matter. It's not that. But it's not about what Jesus flipped on its head was we made it about the tree of good and evil, the same thing you said, Nazi Germany, all these things. We've made it about a set of rules. And again, Jesus is like, this will this will uh, serve you. And it's about me. And so what the New Testament is all about is righteousness comes from just faith in Jesus. It's just right. like doing this and being like, okay, I trust you. 
and then receiving from God um, his love, his beauty, his like how much he wants to pour out mm. on you and and moving out of that and, re- and being able, moving out of that place of like who I am rather than this love like, oh, I messed up this day. I got mad at my wife. I was an asshole in this. So now my identity that day is I'm an asshole. I failed at getting my homework done. Identifying I'm with the- good and evil. That's See? a problem. And it's back to the law. I'm either good or I'm evil rather than like just I'm divine yes. and I make yes. mistakes. But and I that's what God's it. like. I've made you good and there's nothing you can do to mess mm. that up. So like, do you want to receive that or not? What do you think about this aspect? So the serpent, which was later equated uh, with, you know, Satan mm-hmm. and the devil as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, in more uh, ancient traditions, the serpent is actually the bearer of wisdom. So there's kind of this Christian motif of making the serpent actually the source of evil, whereas in other tradition, it's the source of wisdom. What do you, what do you think about that? Is that like, um, is that, are they talking about a different thing? Because obviously serpents and snakes, if you look at a myth of Asclepius, that was like the, the rod with the one snake on it. That's like the healing symbol because they would have these sacred snakes in uh, Asclepian temples which were basically places where there was like kind of priest healers. They would have people come there, um, go to sleep, maybe ingest some kind of substances, and they would be seeking healing through their dreams. They would tell the priest their dream and when they awoke and they would give them an interpretation for how they could heal. Uh-huh. But they had these sacred snakes that were all going around. So they had a different view. So this is like, might be blasphemous from like a Christian perspective, but uh, hear me out. Uh, we were talking about this before. What if the serpent is actually not evil? What if the like there's this view that even like Satan serves God, but does even though unwillingly? Mm, that's interesting. Like even the adversary is serving humanity in some greater sense because before this is a, a key point to make about the Adam and Eve uh, creation story is before that transgression, there was no free will. Because if you can't, if you could only do what's good, that means you don't choose the good. Is that really morality? Mm. Can somebody who's forced to do good be considered a good person? Mm. That's like well, the idea of doing good out of, because you have to, or out of weakness, rather than I have knowledge of what good and evil is, right. and I choose the good in spite of the fact that, yeah. you know, there's this other path which also has some power to it, obviously. You know, with the Star Wars, like the dark side is um, quite powerful, but because it doesn't care about morality. It is like we use the most powerful uh, force lightnings and things like that, Um, but it's founded around these other emotions. But the Jedi seeks to choose the good, even though they're aware that there is this other side, this other power. But in the end, uh, there's like this saying in, I forget which, uh, which Star Wars, but that I think Yoda says it to actually Luke while he's training in that cave. He tells him, well, Luke basically asks, like, is the dark side, like, powerful? And um, Yoda's like, yes, it's powerful, but the light side is always more powerful in the end. So it's like, yeah, in the meanwhile, like, tyrants and people who abuse power and commit evil acts, they seem to win. But when you look at history from a larger perspective, they lose tremendously. So it's like this kind of idea of like, you do what's good and what's right and just trust in it. And that's, you know, that's the, I think that's the power of that story. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of other interesting motifs in there. Um, The fact that um, Eve comes from the rib of Adam. Yeah. And that's, what do you think about that that part? Well, that's uh, interesting. I think we've turned it into rib. It actually, in the Hebrew, it says, uh, Adam's God takes from Adam's side. Mm. So the original Hebrew is actually it's not a rib. We just use rib. I think what I think the main thing that's important about that, um, literally or figuratively, as literature, you know, what, either way, I think either way it doesn't side. matter. I think the the purpose of it because when Adam goes into a sleep, and then God takes from his side and creates Eve and then Adam wakes up the first thing Adam does is well he rejoices and he says bone of my bones flesh of my flesh Mm -hmm. and that's what's different than like God created him another human that is exactly like him 
and the saints, uh, I mean, obviously they're different, they're male and female, and they're two different people, but there's this, like, Adam went through all the animals, right? God says, oh, Adam's alone and he needs a partner. I, I'm a being of community, and I have Adam, but Adam also needs that. So he's like, I'm going to make him a helper. Mm. But before he does that, he shows, he brings all the animals to Adam, and Adam names all the animals, but Adam's like, there's not, there's no, like, none of these, like, really fit me. You know, like there's something like missing. And so that's when God puts him to sleep, takes from his side, makes Eve. So when Adam wakes up, he's like, I've seen all the other helpers. This is like, this is of myself, mm. which is interesting because the same thing that God did, right? God made man in his image. Right. So it's, a, so it's like, like an image similar, of an image. Which is it's great. The, the translation aside brings up an interesting psychological point. Uh, so Carl Jung talked about how the psyche is fundamentally split. In, in people, there's like a masculine side and there's a feminine side. Um, one side is identified with and the other is not. And it becomes kind of the anima or the animus, um, which is kind of the feminine or masculine counterpart to the conscious uh, attitude or the conscious psyche. So that almost seems to be pointing towards like how like the psyche was like split or something in, mm. in humans, not just like it's obviously portrayed in the world through um, through the genders and the, the sexes, uh, but also internally as like a psychological phenomenon of like, this is the one side of me and it's actually also me and it's also from God. Uh, it's a part of myself, literally my side. It's like my half. It's like my yeah. other piece of myself yeah. that yeah. I need to understand to understand myself. Yeah. So it's like actually wow. an internal metaphor too. That's cool. I, that's that's always that one of my favorite too. ones. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of yeah, like yeah, dude. A lot of uh, marriage will expose a lot in yourself. You know? Yeah, it really will. Can't hide. No, you can't. When you're that close, so right? You like you think you dealt with a lot of things, and then you're like, "Man, I'm a selfish asshole." Holy crap! Like you realize mm. things that you never. You have that reflection, right? You, you, you need down. to almost like have that relationship to understand yeah. what your dark aspects are, yeah. what your dark side it is, so that you can a lot of that. Mm. Yeah, there's a kind of towards the end of that story um, after Adam and Eve are kind of cast out of the garden and made mortal and made to work and suffer. Uh, it says there's a passage where the gateway back to um, the garden of Eden was blocked, blocked by a, uh, a cherubim with a flaming sword. Yeah. What does that mean? That's very specific. That's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about what that symbolism is other than it just seemed like to me that's a good question i've never thought about that to me it just seemed like a very obvious like you're not coming back in it's pretty obvious that there's what you've what you've brought into the world mm -hmm. is in conflict with what i created talking to, uh, as if not that i'm god but like in this place of like god's like i created adam and eve mm -hmm. i created this garden that's beautiful and perfect and incredible i created what life was meant to be I created that. Mm. And what you have brought into this world with this fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, the, the things that you've uh, brought with that sin can't exist in this garden. And so I'm going to, I have to block it off now for the sake of like protecting this space that he later brings us back. And then what he does is like that. So that space is guarded. And then through Jesus, we're let back in. So Jesus paid, he's like, now all he, first we go through the whole process of trying to get rid of that sin ourselves and we're terrible at it. We fail right and wrong. We're bad at it. Um, and then, so Jesus is like, I'll do it. I'll be for, I'll do the thing for you. And I'll there's a passage in the presence. Bible that says, this is like a particularly, uh, like warrior aspect of Jesus coming out. He says, I don't come to bring peace to the earth. I come with a sword. Yeah. And I wonder if that's tying into the flaming the sword. Flaming sword. I never thought of that. And I also just a possible interpretation. Maybe the the kind of mythological aspect of it is, you know, when when we were Adam and Eve, we existed almost in this like spiritual state, and we were cast out of this like holy garden heaven onto the earth, um, and the only way back to heaven or this other place is through death. Is through the flaming sword that we're actually completely barred from it. Not like because we're punished, but because we as humans sought this experience on earth. Yeah. And the only way back is actually by not being mortal anymore. Yeah. Is by the flaming sword, is by death. Yeah. From some kind of angel of death, perhaps. That's interesting because Jesus goes through death 
to make that transition. Mm. And then also when we get baptized, it's our representation of dying and coming back out of the waters reborn. And then there's also that whole like rebirthing uh, that's like when you give your life to Jesus, you're like being mm. rebirthed. And then Jesus talks to one of the religious leaders and talks about being reborn, how you need to be, you need to die and be reborn. There's so much about that in the scriptures. Even like a seed, he's like a seed goes into the ground and dies and it has to die in order to be mm. like reborn, rebirth, right? So like the seed comes off the tree and like goes into the ground. So maybe that's what the flaming sword represents. It's not a physical death. It's like some kind of um, psychological or spiritual revolution. Die to the law. Because it's not just like an actual sword. It's like some kind of flaming sword. It's some kind of like you basically have to go through some kind of death and rebirth. Maybe not literally. Maybe not. You don't actually have to die. Well, Jesus did the literal part for us. Yeah. For everybody. That's the key part of it is mm. Jesus. And that's even, and there's, see, there's so much we haven't even begun to touch with Adam and Eve. is like God kills, mm. uh, sacrifices a lamb, which we are at time now. All right. Well, um, we'll, we'll yeah. definitely have to do another, uh, another two. episode, maybe a few more parts. Yeah. We got many to talk about. Mm-hmm. We still need Keep to talk about, days. uh, Solomon, the law of Moses, <laughs> the Trinity, Miracles of Jesus, Jonah and the whale, which we talked about a little bit before. We got plenty of uh, yeah, stories do. to share and how they kind of relate to our lives yeah. metaphorically. And, and I think in natural medicine. Yeah, I think that's the the big lesson is whether or not someone is particularly religious or they believe in like a literal God. There's so much wisdom that you can get from the uh, biblical yeah. stories and from myth yeah. uh, and apply them to your life, even if you don't believe that they actually historically happens. Like we were talking about before, it kind of doesn't matter it's like what do you make of the lesson that was given whether or not it actually yeah. happens does not actually affect our lives that much yeah. but what we do with it affects our lives yeah thank you for being on sir pleasure such yeah. a pleasure <laughs> awesome bro